Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of online video courses, including a wide range of photography topics and skills. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit Lynda.com slash twip. That's Lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash twip. This week on Twip, a photographer blogs about the negative side of Reddit fame. Also, Hasselblad kicks some life into its analog V-system cameras and a high-speed camera trigger that's controllable via your smartphone. It's Monday, July 28, 2014, and this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show to discuss some cool things happening in the world of photography are Mr. Dave Dugdale, Mr. Brian Caparici. How you guys doing? Good, good. Yeah. That did not sound like an enthusiastic good. <laughs> Let's try that again. How you guys doing? Great. <laughs> Sounds like a There we go. There we go. I was gonna say Bueller. Bueller. Anyone? Uh, what's hey, Dave? Uh, Dave, what's going on in your world, man? I know you've been heads down testing that A7S, right? And uh, when's that coming out? I'd say a couple weeks, maybe. I have to give it back on, I think, Saturday. I think yeah. my my 30 days are up, and uh, I'd say probably a week after that. I've got a lot of stuff already on the timeline. I've been like testing and then I'm bringing it in and then testing and I'm bringing it in, but this thing has got. You know, for photographers, you're like, ah, shoot raw. That's no big deal. But for, you know, video people, it's like there's this thing called S-Log2, which is yeah. like this professional gamut curve that's really cool and everything. And it comes with a ton of different settings to utterly, like, screw up, basically. So I've been testing lots of things, screwing many things up, trying again, reiterating. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's not as simple as just shooting raw. Um, yeah. yeah, but that's that's the premise of, of learning DSLRvideo.com, right? People yeah. are following along with you and your pain and happiness, right? Yeah, there's been some pain involved, but it does produce um, pretty stunning images off this thing. Uh, yeah. Even, even... Check this out. So this thing for photographers, you know, if you're doing landscapes, just get the A7R, you know, 36 megapixels, whatever. This thing's only 12, right? So I was thinking, you know, I took a shot when I was up in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. It's a 20 by 30. And uh, I know you can't see any of this, but it looks awesome. I don't know how the math works out on that, and I don't print that often. Probably we could talk to, um, I can't remember what his name is, that guy that does all the printing. Oh, Martin Bailey. Yeah, Martin. And he would probably need to know, but when you print a 20 by 30, I was like, it looks awesome at 12 megapixels. Wow. Well, well, I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, you know, but until, you know, before the review comes out. But in your previous review, you were saying that you might be moving to a hybrid system of an A7S and a GH4. Is it still looking like that? It sure is. I'm selling all my Canon stuff. But yeah. <laughs> I will say, if you're doing sports photography, this is not the camera. Do, right. not, do not buy this camera. It is terrible with sports. It's like shoots two frames a second, basically, in yeah. continu- continuous autofocus mode. But if you are doing 
if you do like more than 50% video, I would definitely get the GH4 or this one because they're both awesome. And yeah. Canon, I don't know what Canon's doing. And, I, and I, I, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I heard from my uh, my contact at B&H that uh, uh, Canon was not very happy with my GH4 review. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, they're like, Canon's not very happy with the truth. You know, they never, you know, they never reached out to me. They don't seem to really care, you know. And then and they've never said, "Oh, thank you for helping us sell millions of dollars worth of cameras" or anything right. like that. Not, so that, before, I'm, not that I'm asking, we... but now they're like ticked off at me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anybody at Canon. Whereas it's like before the before the review, they were you were dead to them. Now you're really dead to them, basically. <laughs> yeah, which you know, innovate, and I will actually review some of your new cameras if the okay. if the legendary or mystical unicorn Canon 7D Mark II ever comes out, which been rumored for how many years now? Things been on. I think actually got just continued on Amazon just this past week. But if that ever comes out, and comes with 4K, and comes with no aliasing or more and all this other stuff, I'll definitely test it out. But I don't yeah. see them hurting their 1DC, which costs 10 grand, or their yeah. C100 that costs six grand, or their C300 that costs, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We've yeah. got uh, in October. We've got Photo Plus Expo coming up, right? So we'll see if anything happens there. Plus, Photokina is coming up too. So this should be the year that we'll see toys if we're going to see toys, right? Yeah, and I would think like the Canon 5D Mark IV. Wouldn't that be slated pretty much in May of next year? That would be my guess. So they're not going to release that. So if they're going to release anything, it would be like the, the 7D Mark II. Would be my guess. I uh, know. Brian Capricci, what, what have you been up to? And uh, you're still happy with your Canon cameras, right? Uh, oh, Frederick. Can't, I mean... <laughs> I know you shoot Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't make me go there. I, uh, you shoot Nikon and you're mirrorless, so you're a hybrid shooter. I'm, right? I'm, I am a hybrid shooter. I Yeah, I mean, I totally... I've um, I actually wrote an article recently about it and it got a ton of attention just because it was sort of a... T you know, talking about... There's so much negativity in the industry about... You know, especially with professionals, wedding photographers, portrait photographers, a lot of them, they say things like mirrorless can't handle what you need to be able to do as a photographer. And, you know, the technology is there. I mean, I, I can't see a reason why it doesn't make sense. And, I mean, there's certainly still reasons why I, st I still shoot a little bit with my Nikon. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, in fact, I did, I did actually grab the Nikon D4S. Um, I like it, but... You know, it's uh, certainly not the innovation that we're seeing in the other spaces either. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's. Uh, I love my Fuji. I've got the XT1. I've got the XE2. I've got the X100S. I've actually really fallen in love with my X100S again recently. I've been I've been taking it everywhere I go. It slips in my pocket. I was off on holidays a couple weeks ago. I brought it to the petting farm. Like, it's just like it's an amazing little camera, and I love it for what it is, and the quality is incredible out of it. So you know, you could yeah, you I, could replace X100S with my girlfriend or wife in that sentence, and because <laughs> you're like, I fall in love with it all over again. I've taken it here and there, and I just you know, we we reunited I, I, our relationship. I think a lot of what us photographers talk about is often about context. I bet you could probably take a lot of what we talk about <laughs> and swap out a couple of the words and be like. What are they talking about? You know, I mean, my wife right now is probably hearing me in the other room, and I'm talking about how it's so sexy and how it's so great and how I love it. And she's like, 
got her ear to the wall saying, what's going on in that other room? Uh-huh, uh, yeah. No, it's been good. I've, I've been busy. I've been writing a ton. I've got uh, an article coming out in Rangefinder, actually, which is pretty exciting awesome. in September. Um, just keeping busy over at Sprouting Photographer with our podcast and writing, and i got two books coming out in uh, November, so keeping busy. Yeah, shout out to your podcast, man. I was checking it out. Lots of cool names in there, man. It's an awesome lineup you've got going. Yeah, it's it's a it's a different take. Like it, I love the business side of photography, and that's yeah. that's mostly what I write and talk about. But we've had guys like Guy Kawasaki and John Chance, and yeah. you know the Jared Gionis and Dane Sanders, all, all all the big you know people in our industry and outside of our industry talking about business, and that's I love that space. So it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Cool. Well, keep it up. Keep it up. Sustain. Sustain. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, before we continue with the show and jump into the news, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that's our good friends over at lynda.com. lynda.com helps you learn and keep up to date with your software. You can pick up brand new skills. You can explore new hobbies. And all of this is using their, you can do this using their easy-to-follow video tutorials. Whether you want to learn how to use Photoshop or improve your photography skills or manage your photos in Lightroom, lynda.com offers thousands of courses on a variety of topics. Like I said, you can learn software, I mean, and this can be in the creative genre, you can learn business skills, photography techniques, web design. We've got over 2,400 courses and they're adding new courses every week. lynda.com works directly with software companies to provide timely training, often on the same day that the new software versions are released. So you pick up some new software, you head over to lynda.com and learn how to use it and get up to speed with it the same day. And they offer courses for all levels. And they're adding new courses all the time. These courses are taught by industry experts. These are folks that know what they're doing, plus they're folks that have been training photography and software for years and years. So they know how to get an idea out of their head into your head. And uh, their instructors are, like I said, accomplished professionals. Many of them are at the top of their fields, and they're passionate about teaching and training. Now, Linda's productions and their their courses are high-quality video productions. They shoot them in studio. You know, like there's live action that's shot in studio and high-quality screen capture for the, the demonstration pieces. These aren't just, you know, any video that any old person can record. These are productions. These are high-quality productions productions. And they're convenient. You can take the courses anytime you want from your computer, tablet, or mobile device. And then each course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump in the middle somewhere to find a quick answer to some problem that's been bugging you. And the courses are broken into bite-sized pieces. So if you got 15 minutes to spare or 15 hours, you can learn at your own pace on your own terms. And one low price of 25 bucks gives you unlimited access to the entire library. So we've worked out a deal with lynda.com so that uh, you can get a special offer to access the entire library for free, this is for TWIP listeners, for seven days. So just visit lynda.com slash TWIP to try lynda.com free for seven days. Once again, that's lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TWIP to try it out for seven days. And I'll tell you, I'm using that seven-day trial right now to uh, get up to speed on Adobe Audition. So, you know, of course, I'm a member of the Adobe Creative Cloud, 
So I have access to all of Adobe software, and we're doing some pretty interesting things on in the TWIP universe, kind of stepping things up or stepping our game up a little bit. And I found myself needing to learn how to use Adobe Audition, which is their audio editing software. Well, when I first launched it, I was like, oh, oh boy, here we go. You know, so my first step was YouTube, and I jumped around and found some tutorials on YouTube, but then I went to Linda and boom, there it is. An entire course laid out for everything I need to know about Adobe Audition and I'm getting up to speed very quickly. So once again, try them out, get access to everything they have in their library for free, over 2,400 courses and just, uh, just head over to lynda.com slash twip and everything will just work from there. And we thank Linda for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, this first story is pretty interesting. So... And this is this is like the perfect. You guys are the perfect folks to be talking about this. So, a photographer, Chris J. B. recently posted about the lessons that he learned after a photograph he took of Mount Fuji in Japan hit the number one spot on Reddit, which is kind of the coveted spot. You get up there, and and you know the the traffic flows to your site or to your image, notoriety, and all that ensues. Um, well, he says at first he was excited about the exposure and the increase in popularity, but quickly he realized there was a downside to the increased popularity. Some of his observations were people can still do a lot with the low-res image. Uh, people can still find ways to get the full-res image anyway if it's posted anywhere online. He posted his full-res on Flickr. Also, people won't believe it's your photo when you contact them to provide credit or to get them to take it down. And he says the recognition you gain won't be very fruitful. For example, popularity doesn't equate to jobs or increased sales. Now, a note to this is a few days later he updated the post to say that he uh, has had much more. He has much more of a positive outlook now, and he's thankful for the attention. Um, but he learned a lot of things about digital marketing and digital media, and just conducting yourself online. So you guys. Brian, I, I want to throw it to you first. You are the marketing guy in this crowd, you know, with uh, Sprouting Photographer and all that stuff. So when you see this, so the, the crux to this, or if you boil this down to the salt, you shoot an awesome image, you post that image online, what can that do for you? Or what did this guy do wrong, and what could he have done differently to maximize the positive result rather, rather than the list of negatives that I just read off? You know, it's it's funny because I, I read something like this and it totally speaks to where we are as an industry and the, um, w without putting a negative, you know, thought to it, the, the sort of egocentric way that we look at a lot of what we do online. I mean, we post something and it goes, you know, viral and I'm using quotes for those listening to the actual podcast, you know, the air quotes. Air quotes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it goes viral and... I always look at things and I say, what's the purpose? Like, why? What was the intent behind something like this? Because if something goes viral and you get all excited about it and it get, you know, goes everywhere on social media, but like he's saying in the article that, A, he wasn't even properly credited in most of the sites. B, it didn't really um, amount to anything. He didn't obviously make any sales off of it. He didn't get any recognition like he wanted. Like, what was the point of it all then? It's like it was, it was great for the couple days that it happened or the week that it happened, and then it kind of just it fades away to you know the next the next picture of the week kind of thing and it's that's that's where i come back to always in terms of 
photography and imaging and work is, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit different because I'm shooting for my clients. So as a wedding and a portrait photographer, that's who I'm trying to make happy. That's who I'm trying to work for. Mm -hmm. And I want to perform for them. I want to create beautiful images for them. I want them to have the finished product. But in this case, I mean, you know, landscape photography, there's so many other um, finishing outlets that we could have other than putting it online and, and just having it go viral and then it, it's, it's crickets after that. And that's just, that's my thought is that, you know, what, I, I like to create with intent with photography and I would encourage other photographers to do the same thing. What's the purpose of what we're trying to do here? Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head, create with intent. And that when I put my marketing hat on uh, and I read the story from a marketing standpoint, I think, well, what were you trying to get out of this? <laughs> you know, what yeah. what was your ultimate goal? And you know, yeah. and and Dave, you can chime in on this. I mean, internet marketing folks or folks that are running businesses online know that, you know, there's this old saying the money's in the list, right? So, build your email list. You want to get people off of social media and onto your email list so that you can market to them. Now, in this case, what would he if even if he did that, if he did the whole you know, hey, get on my list, however he wanted to structure that so that people got on his, the, the traffic resulted in some additions to his email list, then what would he be trying to get out of that? Because in, in his list of observations, he said he didn't get any jobs and, you know, none of this stuff. So we're, is that what you're trying to do online? Are you trying to sell stuff? Are you trying to book weddings? Are you trying to gain notoriety? Or, you know, you have to know where you're going in, in order to chart a, you know, path to get there. Mr. Dugdale, what do you think? So, I mean, when I was reading that a few days ago when it first hit Petapixel, wherever it was, um, it he sounded really negative. He was like, you know, he's showing all these stats and stuff, and he was like, mm -hmm. he's kind of bummed. He said, you know, one person wanted to, like, maybe buy the print, and then it was crickets after that, and then I got no sales out of that. And it, it reminded me of myself many years ago when I was starting in – just social media all, you know, in general. And, like, you're always looking at the stats because he had, like, stats, stats, stats all over the place on that that post. And I was thinking, yeah, I used to look at stats all the time, and I used to be really, like, you know, all about, you know, oh, somebody took my image, I better go get them, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But now maybe he's at the beginning of it because I used to be that way, but now I really don't care. You know, I put all my f images out there. 99% of them are all Creative Commons, share like, so you could like use it for commercial use. Mm -hmm. I could see my stuff on a billboard. I'd never get a cent. It really yeah. doesn't bother me. Like I'm on the uh, the the same train of thought when you had Aaron Nace on a long time ago. Aaron said, you know, it's gonna get stolen, whatever. I don't really care as long as I'm just you know. I don't want to be like chasing people down to get money out of it. I just want to create, and I'm this, I'm kind of the same way. Just Take my image. Go ahead. All I ask in return is if you link back to my site, and that gives yep. me maybe a little bit of Google juice, and I rank a little higher. Um, but all in all, you know, and I don't even there's my Flickr images have been looked at millions of times, um, and they get stolen all the time or not correctly um, attributed, if that's the correct word or phrase. Um, yep. But I, I'm on the train of thought now. If if like a really big site like Wired.com or Huffington Post or which have used my images before, if they haven't done it correctly, I'll just send them a nice email, you know, thanks for using my image, 
Um, you know, as I stated uh, in, below the comments, you know, I'd like you to provide attribution to my site, and they usually come back and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, Let, we, we fixed it." Yeah. And that, usually, like the small little guys, I really don't care, but the big ones, I usually will spend a few minutes. But it's yeah, it's no big deal. But it, I think it, it still goes back to the whole idea of know where you're going, right? So in your case, you're comfortable with the images being out there. And you're not necessarily because my, my photography is not that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks anyway, so take it. <laughs> no, but you know, you you uh, you're comfortable with images being out there. You've made peace with it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah and you're not going to play whack-a-mole trying to hunt people down that that lift your images. But at the same time, you have a very definitive and focused and sharp marketing plan for the other stuff that you're doing. You're not trying to create a revenue stream from mm -hmm. these images that are out there. So yeah. I would I would put it to what's what, what was his name? Chris, Chris JB. I'm like Chris JB, what's your marketing plan? Is your marketing plan to go commercial? You're going to sell these things? You're making a gallery showing? Are you you don't care because your photography is not that good like Dave Dugdale or, you know, <laughs> I kid, I kid. No, I kid. no. I, I am a video guy. I don't ever claim to be a photographer. Oh, yeah, I've seen your shots. Your shots are outstanding. No. So, I don't know. Brian, what do you think? I mean, should, you know, you're, so put on your marketing hat, you know, you're not, you're not at the wedding shooting. Now you're marketing and teaching people marketing. Mr. Mr. JB comes to you and he's complaining about all these things. How would you consult with him and tell him, next time you post something online, do this? What would you say? Okay, I, I have um, a very direct correlation to this situation and then maybe some other spaces because, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure um, what the photographer, like what, what he does for a living. Does he make money with his photography? Is he just an amateur and he just, you know, does it whatever? And for him, maybe the notoriety or getting featured or, you know, getting number one on Reddit, maybe that was good enough for him. It was a little bit of a boost and that was it. I would say for most photographers that want to make a living at photography or at least want to make some kind of money through photography, you have to think of it a little bit deeper than that. Um, and, and a great correlation is in, in the wedding and portrait space, there's this buzz that everyone does what, what's called a styled shoot, right? Where basically, you know, you, you collaborate with the, the dressmaker or the florist or a venue or whatever, jewelry maker, and you create these beautiful images and everybody gets all excited about them being featured on the blog of the week, whether that's Style Me Pretty or Wedlux or Wedding Bells or whatever it is. I've done them all too. Um, but, but where most photographers make the mistake that I've seen is that you get featured, it's all exciting for a week, you get your little badge you can put on your website, and then the next day, just like with this guy with his Reddit, it's the next thing. It's, it's whatever is being featured next. And it's like, so what did you get out of that? You got featured on a blog for one day, and then you moved on, and you had a spike in traffic for one day and moved on. So my suggestion, I've done this so many times, and it's proven to be beneficial time and time again, is take that opportunity and stretch it out further than just what you're getting in that one day. So why don't you take that and bring it to your local newspaper and see if you can get them to write a story in it locally about it. I know for me that's huge. Like every time I win an award, every time I'm featured, every time I get something, I'm to my local news station, my local radio station, my local TV station, and I'm trying to get the press out of it to make all that 
uh, notoriety and all that acknowledgement go further than just that one feature that I had on the blog for one day. Because then when that happens, A, I get local awareness, but B, I now also get that kind of coverage and that kind of uh, backing behind me that I can say on my website, I can say to my future clients, I've been featured on this website, I've been featured on this radio station, I'm a regular guest on CHCH Morning News. Like I can, I can use that um, for PR and for marketing to push myself forward in my business. And that's that's an exact example of taking something that is, it's like this little slice in internet land because you're talking about this global marketplace, but in a local context, if that's what you're going after for your business, that can bring you, you know, returns for a long, long time. Yeah. So that's what I would suggest. I agree. I agree. So put a, put a finer point on that for us. So photographers may be listening to that and they'll be saying, they may be saying, Brian, that is amazing. Next time I get an award, I'm going to go approach my local news agency and see if I can get them to pick up the story, whether it's a newspaper or local news, etc. How do they do that? I mean, do they just call the front desk? Do they just show up? With, you know, what do they find an email at the bottom of the page? Or their their website? What's the what's the real step to get in there? Okay, so PR is all about relationships, and and you can't just cold call saying, "Write about me. Look how amazing I am." So, yeah. uh, a, it's important to be building relationships ahead of time, whether that means starting to get involved in local associations or local charities or, or local events that the news is at, build a relationship with the editor, with whoever's there taking the pictures at the events. I mean, we're photographers. If you want to build a relationship with the local newspaper, why don't you say, hey, there's this event coming. Why don't I go take pictures and I'll give you guys the photos as long as you give me credit. You're starting that relationship and you're starting to build that connection so that when you need something from them, they know who you are. It's not just a cold call. And mm -hmm. then you also have to remember that when you present these ideas to the newspaper, you can't. I can't just call up the Voice of Pelham, which is our local new newspaper, and say, "I won an award. Will you write a story about me?" It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I need to call them and say, "Here's the news angle on it. Here's the story. Here's the value that your listeners or your readers would would find out of what I just did." So yeah. you, you can take whatever it is and put it into context that way. I mean, the guy with the, with the, um, the the Mount Fuji, you know, picture. That could be anything. Maybe he can call his local paper and say, "Here's five. I want to share five tips to take better pictures next time you're hiking on vacation or something." Oh, and by the way, did you know that my photo got number one on Reddit, which is like this massive thing? The newspaper would be like, "Okay, yeah, he can give us content. He can give us value. It's newsworthy. It's a story, and we have a relationship with this guy. Why shouldn't we?" So, yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of like a recipe for getting PR, in my opinion. I think I think you hit it right on the head because one of the most famous photographers on the planet started that way and that was Peter Parker. So mm -hmm. Peter Parker aka Spider-Man started <laughs> started by giving the daily what what was it, it wasn't the daily planet that's Superman's favorite but by giving <laughs> J Jonah Jameson the editor photos exclusive photos of Spider-Man for free, right? Yeah. Which of course was him, you know. But yeah, you start off and you you get your foot in the door and then you get the gig, right? So Yep. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I, just to, to close this off, Dave. So looking at this uh, from a strict email marketing standpoint, if you were to, if you were this guy and he had his mechanisms in place to capture those leads onto his list, how? And so, say you were like, you knew that this photo, you had your crystal crystal ball, you knew this photo was going to go viral on Reddit and shoot to number one, and you you were expecting a, a metric ton of traffic to your website. What would you do today knowing that was going to happen tomorrow? Um, I think a really good angle would be a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. If you 
thought that far ahead of it. Yeah. Like, here's me capturing the photo, and I woke up at 2 in the morning, I had to climb the mountain, and then, you know, I met this girl along the way, and, you know, I had, like, a whole story behind it kind of thing mm-hmm. that would really, you know, capture it. And then um, to watch the behind the scenes, hey, sign, sign up for my uh, mailing list. And I didn't even say that. <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah. I, and I think people would like that, be like, well, what's the story behind the shot? Did he have to get up early in the morning? I mean, was it lucky? Did he? Can anybody get the shot? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I think the, the takeaway from this whole thing is just a little forethought and planning to to – you know, kind of know where you're going, know what your end goal is. What are you trying to do? What what's the end result? You know, I don't I don't think complaining after the fact does yourself or anyone else any good. But if you know that, hey, I am trying to get to my goal is to get to 10,000 subscribers on my email list by the end of 20 whatever year you're in, uh, then it, everything else falls into place from there. You can do the Dave Dugdale method and do the link thing. You know, so that they get on your list and. Or you can say, okay, yeah, my, my ultimate goal is to expand my notoriety, so therefore I need to be on news agencies. So I'm going to do the Brian Capricci thing. I'm going to uh, approach my local newspaper and get in there. So, But you got to know where you're going, right, in order to well, figure out. If I can interject, too, I, I yeah. think I think even at this point, Frederick, it's, I don't think it's too late for him to, to get something out of it or to get some kind of return out of it or to have some kind of positive impact. I mean, he's now had all of this coverage, all of this – you know, media that he's gotten online, number one on Reddit, all these things. He can, if I were him, I would be screenshotting all that. I would be recording, you know, interviews. I would be putting releases out to guy people like this week in photography and trying to get yeah. on the show. And I mean, yeah. there's so much that he could do. And then, and then keep that recording, keep that screenshot, keep all that data, all those, all those, you know, amazing features, and then use that going forward next time he wants to do something else. Yeah. And yeah. say, you know, oh, remember, I was that guy that was this, or I was that guy that this, and use that as like a stepping stone to get to the next place that you want to get to. Yeah, yeah. But don't be known as the guy that. See, now we're talking. See, that would have been cool. But now we're talking about <laughs> talking about him as the guy that complained yeah, about exactly. the notoriety on Reddit instead of the guy that seized the day, did the carpe exactly. diem thing, and you know, turned lemons into lemonade. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All right, guys, let's uh, let's move on to this next story. So the title of this one is A Hasselblad Has Breathed New Life Into Analog V-System Cameras. So they're giving all of its old V-System analog cameras a new lease on life with its freshly announced CFV 50C digital back. I'm looking for a price in here while I'm reading this. <laughs> this is like 50 grand. $15,000. Oh, 15K, okay. So the 15-megapixel CMOS sensor... Uh, base back will let consumers or let folks capture 8272 by 6200 pixel images with any v-system camera and the thing is any camera that dates all the way back to 1957 so we'll link to the story in the uh in the notes it looks this is interesting and what i'd like to put to you guys is i know we we started the show off with discussion about mirrorless and you know dslrs and all that which is seems to be the theme of 2014 but we've the the medium format world has been strangely it has been silent, but it's been you know the volume has down been down to two ish, maybe three. Now, Mr. Dugdale, you don't test these because you're learning DSLRvideo.com, right? So, so you're this is out of your your range of you know you wouldn't even test this ever, right? <laughs> so, no, you know what? 
But the only thing I can comment on this story is what if, I think this is really cool that they're doing it, and I think maybe it, there's got to be such a limited supply of these cameras out there that, you know, maybe they're, like, doing some technology behind the scenes and they're just testing it on this and maybe for a different product. Yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of because it seems like such a niche. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I just, I can't speak to this at all, basically. <laughs> yeah, I know. Brian, you remember the days. You remember the days when shooting weddings with medium format cameras meant that you were a professional photographer? Do you remember? <laughs> and if yes, you were shooting I, I remember, weddings with a DSLR, you shoot it with a DSLR, that meant that you are just an amateur and you couldn't afford the Hasselblad like the real guys, you know? Yeah. You, you remember that? I, I, uh, I've heard stories. I've read about it in the textbooks, anyways. <laughs> you know, oh, uh, look at that. See, that was an age dig. I like that. <laughs> you know, for, for me, so it's actually funny because that, cause that topic was one of the, uh, one of the, the sort of catalysts that, um, that got me to write the article that I wrote about mirrorless photography and how, as photographers, we seem to be against change and we seem to resist yeah. it at every point in the progression of our life cycle of photographers. But... The reality is, is that change happens, and we just need to adapt it and keep moving forward with it, and keep sort of looking forward to the next thing. I, I've never shot with a medium format camera, so again, like Dave, like my my experience with this is is relatively limited. Um, but I, I think it's probably, and this is just me, you know, off the top of my head. I think it's probably going to be more of a nostalgic thing mm -hmm. than it is maybe necessarily a useful thing. Um, you know, I mean, for, for for cameras dating back to what did you say, 1958 or something? Or, 57, or, yeah. I'm, yeah, I mean, that's just like that's that's a amazing that now we can breathe new life into these cameras. But I also just wonder what the what the use case of that would be. I mean, with the cameras that we have now, I, I understand medium format sensor size is obviously very different than that of mirrorless and DSLR and full frame. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the megapixels, I mean, you've got the Sony A7, right? That's Or the A7R, rather, 36 megapixels. The, I mean, even if you want to go into the, to the DSLR space, the Nikon D810 is 36 megapixels. Those yeah. are big files, man. I mean, for me, as a wedding and portrait photographer, I've never shot with anything over 16 megapixels, and I've gotten... 40 by 60 prints left, right, and center, no problem. I've had images put on billboards, no problem. And it's I've never had issues with it. So for me, I don't know if this is going to be a mass adoption thing or if it's more of a nostalgia, let's kind of bring back, you know, the old time type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I need we need to get someone on the show that has that shoots medium format because I I shot medium format before but never digital. I've shot medium format right. film before, never digital. Uh, largely because you know the DSLRs came about, you know, and it was okay. This is great, and look at the price, and that is that, and less versatile, and look at that price. I'm going to the left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, I wonder, you know, and I'm I'm admittedly ignorant of this because I haven't shot with one of those, and I haven't had, I haven't even looked at one of the files in in Photoshop to see the detail versus you know DSLR detail. So I would love to have someone on, Twip listeners, if you shoot medium format, sound off, send us a note through the website, let us know. I'd love to chat with you to get your thoughts on uh, the pluses of shooting with medium format digital versus you know, going with something more traditional like a DSLR or even the newer mirrorless systems. Interesting stuff, though. Interesting. But, yeah, like you said, yeah, 36 megapixels on the Nikon and on the on the Sony A7R. I mean, it's we, we've got the pixels there, so 
you know, is the size of the sensor the uh, what does that give you? I think that's the main question. Well, and, and that it's it's funny because I I would argue too that, I mean, I know that there's always been this megapixel race <laughs> that the manufacturers have loved to obsess over. I I'm still not convinced that that's that's ever the metric that we need to be paying attention to because, like I said, 12 megapixels. I mean, heck, 10 megapixels is probably more than 99.9% of photographers would need. I mean, look look at our friend in the last story. He just he posted a picture on Reddit that was, you know, how many how many megapixels or how, or what was resolution? I mean, did, did, would he need a you know a 50 megapixel camera for that? Definitely not. For what yeah. most people use their their photography for. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm. I, I think it ultimately comes back to the nostalgia factor of that. If I, was, I was going somewhere else with that, but I lost my train of thought with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I hear you. And it's, uh, you know, I, I know I can hear some listeners thinking right now that, hey, the larger the sensor, the more light sensitivity you get, sure. you know, et cetera. Yeah. But, then, but then I would counter that with shooting medium format. You're on a tripod. <laughs> you're not, yeah. You know, you with a medium format camera, chances are you're controlling the lighting. So, yeah. Why the need for low light sensitivity? I don't know. So clearly, once again, to reiterate, I need uh, I need an expert to come on the show and tell us what the real deal is with oh. uh, with medium format backs. And I, I remember someone from I Phase going. One or from Phase will come on. That would be good. Yeah, I, I remembered where I was going actually, Frederick. It was um it was just that is that a lot of the time the manufacturers are using the megapixels as the measuring stick. But w when I was reading about this, um, they were talking about how the the noise handling actually wasn't all that great. From this camera, and they said that you can shoot 6400, I think ISO, with with what they said is very little noise. And and I would argue that in today's market, 6400 ISO is like you know ISO 200 from 10 years ago. It's like yeah. it's a completely different game. And so, you, you know, I mean, yeah, I I think it's there. And actually, talking about phase one, a a friend of mine, Sal Sincata from uh from Behind the Shutter. Is his uh, is his blog, and he's got a, a convention called uh, Shutterfest. He shoots with a Phase One in studio, and he loves it. Um, you know, he he has nothing but great things to say in that kind of controlled environment. Ooh, so, hey, on. yeah, yeah, I, I think that there's a ton of merit there, Frederick. I just think you know, for for us, obviously, the experience isn't there. Unfortunately, I mean, I I've never even looked at a at a medium format file, so I I can't really even be be in the right place to say that it. It doesn't measure up to that of a, or it, it, it's you know leaps and bounds better than a DSLR or a mirrorless file. So, yeah, you know who else shoots? Uh, now that I think about it, um, Peter Hurley. You know. Oh yeah, you're right actually. Yeah, but you know what though? The interesting thing. So I've I've talked with Peter quite a bit, and he did shoot with medium format for a while, but he's he's he hasn't shot with it as much as as you would think um, in terms of you know most of his stuff. He actually switched over to to DSLR for a good majority of his work. Huh. Um, like like within the last couple of years, so um, I I think he loved it for what he used it for, but I just think the speed and everything of DSLR and how you can use it and be more on on your toes with it, I think he's adapted that you know yeah. style of shooting. I, I could be incorrect, but at least that's what I've come to understand of Peter's work. I think I feel a show coming on. I think I'm gonna have to build a panel of all medium format folks and just tear into it and get to the bottom of this. It's yeah. too. Uh, it's too mysterious. We need to find out more. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's flip it. So we were talking about giant sensors. Let's talk about smaller sensors. So uh, the gist of this next story is more companies are turning the Kickstarter to launch their photography products. Uh, and one of the latest entrants into the space is MyOps, M-I-O-P-S, and they do a high-speed camera trigger that you can control with your smartphone. So the blurb from their site says, 
MyOps promises an impeccable level of both control and performance through a hot shoe mounted device. It will connect to a smartphone via Bluetooth through a dedicated app to get the most out of its feature set. However, to ensure that MyOps is still usable even after your smartphone dies, a team that was wise enough to include dedicated controls into the body of the device, it will feature three primary controls, lighting, laser, and sound. Each of these triggers each of these trigger the camera under quick changes in light, breaking the laser beam fired by the device, and dramatic changes in noise, respectively. An interesting feature about the sound trigger specifically is that rather than firing the shutter, it fires off the flash to minimize delay. Now, this this can be interesting. So there's there's two angles to this. First of all, the device sounds amazing to do high-speed photography, just period. That sounds... I, I want it for that, you know. But... This, uh, you know, I don't know. So I want to, you know, well, from a brass tack standpoint, Dave, I know, again, video, right? So you're not, you're not, unless you're shooting high speed, 120 frame per second video of hummingbirds, you know, <laughs> you're probably, which sounds pretty cool, actually. Um, but when you see something like this, does this make you think like, yeah, I want to experiment with high speed photography? Can you see yourself walking down that path? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I watched the Kickstarter video, which is very compelling, and all the mm -hmm. examples that they gave from smashing a beer bottle to um, a whole bunch of different things like popping balloons and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, and they did a really good job. You know, I've been burned with Kickstarter before, you know, people not delivering, but yeah, it seems like they've assembled a pretty good team of people, and they've talked about their backgrounds and maybe how fast they can get it to market and stuff like that. So I I don't know. It was very compelling. I don't know. After watching, I was like, yeah, I'd love to give this to try, you know, because there, there's, you know, some really cool shots in there that, because actually, then I say it because, you know, my Canon 5D Mark III, which I'm going to get rid of, I have some young newer triggers, <laughs> which are very inexpensive <laughs> triggers, which work great. They work fantastic. You know, there's just a flash of light and no different. They're a lot cheaper than the Canons. So I've got a whole bunch of young newer triggers that I can't use or I haven't figured out how to use with the, the Sony or the GH4. It doesn't seem to physically fit in the hot shoe. Yeah. So this thing maybe could replace it. I don't know. This would be kind of cool because uh, it does. You can do um, the one video thing that's related. In the video, you can do time lapse. Oh, yeah. So it's like it has a built-in interferometer, even though, you know, GH4 has got it built in. You know, the A7S, you can buy a $10 app. Um, if you can in, you have to buy an $80 remote trigger. Yeah. So you're right. gonna have guys and you're gonna have like a Canon helicopter come to your house. Man. I know. SWAT team. What is Doug Dale talking about? Yeah. Come with us, sir. No questions. Yeah. But no, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. They did a very compelling video. I I wish them the best of luck if they can actually make it. Yeah. Hey, one thing while I got you there, Dave. So. We were talking a minute ago about ISO speeds. Brian was talking about how native ISO speeds have been have been increasing. I read somewhere a couple of days ago that the native ISO on the Sony A7S is like 3200. That's is correct. So if you're if you're shooting S log two, which is that um, very flattened. Um, dynamic range S-curve, which you then have to pull it out on your scopes later and yeah. increase the contrast, um, it's 3,200. So get ready for a whole bunch of ND, you know. <laughs> You've got to pile it on there. Wow. Yeah, that, that's crazy. So, yeah, so no pop-up flash on that thing, I take it. <laughs> no, there's no pop-up. You don't, yeah. Well, I will yeah. say that, you know, the shots that I've done in, like, 
for my girls' uh, gymnastics meet, I went there, and it was kind of a, a an older gym, and the lighting was poor. Um, you can get awesome video with it, right? So mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, I'm just going to crank the ISO to 6400 and get increase my shutter speed and get some awesome shots. Well, in terms of stills, you still have the kind of the issue when you're bringing the Lightroom, you zoom in, you're starting to do stuff with it, and it's like it's all... It used to still do, it's still noisy, um, even at 64, when you're looking at it that close. Um, so, great for video, though. Yeah, love it for mm-hmm. video. 6400, I have no problem. I'll shoot all day with 6400. I need, I need to see that review. You need to hurry up and finish it. <laughs> cool. All right, so, uh, so Brian, when you, when you see something like this, I mean, you know, would, I look at this, when I, first when I look at it, the geek synapses in my brain fire and I'm like oh I start drooling a little bit and I gotta have it right and then the logic brain kicks in it's like okay when are you gonna use this again or is this going in that pile of stuff you have over there (laughs) so Brian would you do you see an instance where you'd actually use this in your day-to-day work you know like weddings and that sort of thing I'm I'm so glad to hear that I'm not the only photographer with like that box of random things that you decided to buy one day that sits in the closet okay so that's you have no idea what's behind the camera let me tell you (laughs) Uh, okay so so for me I mean you know I, I said earlier in the show there I'm 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 a people photographer. I, I love to photograph people. I, I, For me, I don't have as much of an interest in the still life, or I guess in this case it's moving life captured still, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah. Most you know, for, life. For me, it's not it's not my, my passion space. I, I think it's super cool. I've seen some amazing photography done this way. Um, I think it's a great device that makes a technique very easy. And so I think it's just going to do what everything else in our industry Every other innovation in our industry, mirrorless photography included, um, has done. It's basically it's helped creativity. It's helped um, get the technology and get the the equipment into the hands of more creatives to try new things and to continue to expand the boundaries in photography. Yeah, so when I you look at this stuff, Brian, you look, you look at this stuff. One of the things that excited me about moving into the the mirrorless side was. Yeah, you could you could do time lapse with the DSLR. You could do stop motion. You could do you know all those things, but it it was more fun, or it is more fun and easier on on a mirrorless camera. Do you think like these are we going to see more of that kind of experimentation sort of take root again? Because it kind of totally. trailed off, right? Yeah, totally. And and that's that's actually the the crux of that. I keep referencing an article. We'll have to put it in the show notes. Yeah. The crux yeah, of yeah, that article is that it's it's basically you know we're taking the the technical limitation and the technical equipment out of the equation now. I mean, it's I, 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 as a complete side note, I think it's it's fascinating that you've got this platform like Kickstarter that makes uh, ideas come to life like this. I mean, they, I think, how much did they get? Two hundred thousand dollars in their funding or something, which is just like amazing. I mean, if you even look five years ago or ten years ago, if you had an idea where it's, hey, I want to create this trigger, you'd have to like go get funding and go to a venture capitalist and get moles and blah, blah, blah and do all these things. And now you've got this this team, these guys that have this incredible idea and they just come up with it, they post a video online and it's done. It's, it's funded. I just think that it, I think it fuels creativity and I think that, I think that's the space that we're in now. I think we're entering this whole new era of photography where the technology is taking as, as much as it's becoming easier and we're getting all these new technologies available to us, it's almost like the technology is taking a backseat and it's almost like photographers. You can have whatever you want to do what you need to do, 
just have it and it's really easy to use. Now we have to put our creativity to, to work. And now which, I think which is scary, which is scary, good. right? Because a lot I of photographers, really yeah, because now there's no excuse. Before, like exactly. even like doing the video, you know, all this cool stuff. You before it's like, you know what? I can make a, I could be Spike Lee if I wanted to, you know. But he he's got funding. He's got all the yeah. great cameras and the Hollywood contacts. I could never do that. Now you can do stuff like that with off the rack cameras, right? Exactly if you have the I talent mean, yeah. and the creativity. Right? Exactly. So, so I think what this does to our industry is it puts the emphasis back into the creativity and the artistry and away from the technical or even financial limitations that we've had previously. And I think that's really exciting as an industry is that there's no limits now. It's, it's now it's just put your mind to work and, and create something amazing and don't let the technical stuff get in the way because now the technical stuff is just flying at us with every new Kickstarter campaign. So I, I think I think it's gonna gonna breathe this whole new life into our industry because of all these amazing innovations that we, we're now exposed to on almost a daily basis it seems. Yeah, totally. And and Dave, you know, just sort of bringing it around to the side of business building and the opportunities and the infrastructure that's there today versus what was there say five years ago. Yeah, like photographers, we have access to all these tools and toys and techniques and software and all this. But as marketers as well, we have access to all this other cool stuff that allow folks like you that are enterprising and entrepreneurial to build amazing businesses on top of this as well as being creative, right? So, you know, and we talked about this in an interview we did in Vegas, right? Yeah, it's it's great to have all these tools. Um, it's Yeah, and... You have no excuse. I mean, yeah. come on. You can buy a used T2i from Canon for like five, maybe two hundred bucks on Craigslist, and you can create amazing stuff. I know I'm ripping on Canon, but you could buy. You still make amazing stuff with that. You really don't have an excuse. Like these guys, with their Kickstarter campaign video, which kind of sold me. I mean, they did a really good job, probably mm -hmm. researching what other Kickstarter videos did really well at and they you know assembled it and it looked like they were using a Canon T2i actually in the video so yeah, um, yeah you, there's so many great tools you just have to like go in there and watch other people's stuff take notes and create something just as good and put your own creative twist on it there, there are lots of great marketing tools out there so to, to, to close this piece off before we we jump into the the Q&A segment the if photographers are watching this and they're like, yeah, I'm suffering from overwhelm. You know, I I know I have all these cool tools that can do all these cool things. I listen to Twip. I, you know, I'm um, at Sprouting Photographer. I'm in Learning DSLR video all the time. And I have all this information coming into me all the time. I get overloaded. I don't know what to shoot, so I go play Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> What should they do, Dave? What, what should that guy do that's like, you know, this is awesome. I know that I have all this power, but I don't know what to do next. What should I do next? You know, I get in that situation sometimes. Um, right now in the summertime, it's hard for me to do. I mean, I'm doing reviews and stuff like that. But um, there's a guy that I follow, Matthew Scott. He's mm -hmm. out of uh, Australia. He, he's, he owns a red and does a lot of uh, DPs for a lot of, um, I guess, indie films. Yep. And he does... Amazing work. In fact, he just did a blog post. Maybe I can put a, a link into it. What he does, and it gets me thinking, and this, this is where I'm going to try to answer this question, is he does breakdowns of films that he really loves. And you'll just take like one chapter or one scene, like a, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, something Bastards in 
Inglorious? I, yeah, thank Inglorious you. Bastards. I haven't seen it, but he broke down this whole section and he shows he shows the color palette that they used. He dissected that and he showed the camera angles, the composition, how they were moving the camera, all this stuff. And when you read that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, I want to try this, and I have the exact thing I want to try this on, you know. And it gets yeah. you thinking, it gets those creative juices going. So. Hopefully, people that listen to this podcast, you know, while they're walking or they're on their commute, they should be able to get those creative juices flowing. Um, maybe something inspires them. So hopefully they're out. They're, hopefully they're not getting overloaded, but they're getting inspired. I hope. Yeah. 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 You have to definitely give us that link. Put that link in the notes somewhere so we can we can uh, link over to that that particular guy. In yeah. The, we'll look at yeah. That. He does great work. Cool. All right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into the Lister Q&A. But before we do that, I want to remind folks that we have another show in the This Week in Photo Network, and that's our show called All About the Gear. Um, it's a show that's hosted by Mr. Doug K and myself, and one of the latest reviews was about that Sony A7S that just popped out. He also did a review on the Sony A6000. He's doing one on... I think it's some gear out of, uh, I don't know. He's, Doug has a pile of gear that he is reviewing at any given time. So definitely go and check that out. He has a, a, we have a sort of different take on the way that we do the All About the Gear show. It's, a, it's just Doug and I on there, and he has had a piece of gear in his hands for about two weeks. He's taken it out, putting it through the paces, and then I just drill him with questions on you know who it's for, what's bad, what's good, all that stuff, and then he uh, he tells me what the deal is, and then he'll rate it at the end. So definitely check that out if you want to see all of those episodes that we've recorded so far. I think we're up to 15 or so in there, 15 individual pieces of camera gear uh, or cameras. You just go over thisweekinphoto.com/gear, and you'll see a listing of everything that's been recorded so far. Yeah, it was great. I watched your A7S one, and I learned a couple things I didn't know. I was like, oh. I need to. I, I'm glad I. I'm glad I watched it because I was like, I'm <laughs> good. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so between the two reviews, yours and ours, that's the one-two punch on the A7S. You know, <laughs> you should know all there is to know after that. <laughs> so, Definitely. Cool. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's jump into the the listener Q and A segment. This is where we answer a question that has been on some of our listeners' minds. And this week's question comes to us from Chris Nielsen via our G Plus community page, which, by the way now has over 8,000 members and growing. Um, so thank you for all the members that are in there. And if you're not in there, come on in and join the party. Um, so what uh, Chris says, he says, Cactus Flash Trigger and receivers for Olympus Micro Four Thirds. He says he's looking to fire off two camera flashes from different manufacturers, Olympus and Vivitar. And he's assuming he needs a version 4 trigger and so that, that's the gist of his question. So how does he do that? He wants to fire off. And Brian, I'm going to throw this to you, Dave's video guy. So he's used to LEDs and f compact fluorescence and all this stuff. So, so, so when you're, if you want to fire, if a guy wants to fire off two flashes from two different camera manufacturers, what should he do? Okay, so it's actually funny because I saw this in the show notes and I was like, oh my, I seriously, I just bought Cactus V6s. Seriously? Awesome. <laughs> I, can actually, I can very specifically talk to this question. Um, Great. So for me, the challenge that I was having is, you know, I've talked about a couple times, I have mostly Nikon gear. I've got Nikon SB900 flashes and I love off-camera flash. I use it at wedding receptions. I use it creatively for portraits and I just, having been shooting with Fuji for so much, I was like, ah, how can I, how can I make this work? And so I did, I researched all the options and the Cactus V6 system seemed to have come out on top. What I love most about it is, A, 
you can connect. It's, it's so it's a transceiver. So it'll be both a receiver and a transmitter. So you, I just I bought a whole bunch of them and you just switch it on different modes. Um, but you can basically put any flash on the receiver end of it, and then mm -hmm. you put the transmitter on the camera. And on the flash, it actually can, or on the um, the receiver, it can either um, it has a bunch of profiles built in, so it'll know what your flash output is supposed to be depending on what flash you have it on, whether it's Vivitar, Nikon, Canon, anything. Um, or you can actually learn a flash profile by putting it through this series of tests so that it knows what the output should be at different output levels. So whatever flash you're putting it on, no matter what brand it is, it will work on the Cactus trigger or on the receiver. And then on the trigger, the best thing that I love about it is that you can actually control the power output of that flash that you have off camera right from your camera on that transmitter. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, that for me is just incredible, especially at a wedding. I've got flashes all around the room. I'm not going to run around and go and bring the flashes off my light stands and adjust the power output. Yeah. So, for me, the cactus is a great... No, no. Uh-oh. Did we lose uh -oh. him? Cactus is a great something. He <laughs> cactus is a great. Brian, oh, no. He's so yeah, close to say, <laughs> Was he going to say cactus is a great disappointment or a great buy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll we'll see if he rejoins us. We're we're at the end of the show anyway, so hopefully he'll be able to come back in. Um, so that was a good that was a good answer to that question anyway. So yeah. cactus, we'll we'll link to the cactus in the uh, the uh, the version the V6 I think Brian was talking about. We'll link to that in the notes for this. All right, so let's let's do the picks of the week real quick here, Dave. I think I should let you go first since we're waiting on Brian to to reanimate there. <laughs> so <laughs> what what's your pick of the week this week? So my pick of the week, uh, last time I was on the show, it was the GH4, so the, my pick of the week this time would be the A7S. Um, yeah. I would pick, you know, the, the, the short of it, kind of what I'm going to probably talk in my review, I, I actually haven't written all this, the script yet. I, you know, I've gone through the tests and I've looked at all the, the footage, but basically the GH4 is a wonderful little camera. Um, it's you, When you think about the bodies, the GH4 is actually smaller than the A7S because Anytime you put full frame glass on this thing, I'm holding these cameras up by the way for yeah. those people not watching, but the uh, the GH4 is got smaller lenses because it's just smaller. Uh, they're micro four thirds, so it's actually a smaller camera. And I love taking it around. You can basically take it just about anywhere. It's not totally pocket sized, but like a winter jacket would definitely fit. But the A7S, uh, it basically is a wonderful camera. I would pretty much use this at ISO 800 and above, mm -hmm. whereas the GH4, I would use it below that if I need to do like a wide master shot, like mm -hmm. I want to get all the detail because I'm taking the 4K and down-resing it to 1080. And, you know, at some point, the A7S will be able to do 4K, but the Shogun for this thing is like two grand, which will allow you to do 4K recording, whereas the body on this thing, the GH4, is only 1700 bucks. And so, it records internally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's I think having both of them um, is the way to go, and that's pretty much what I'm going to say in my review is get rid of all your Canon gear or Nikon gear or whatever and get these two cameras because they're awesome. And and I could totally eat my words, you know, a month from now at one yeah. of these trade shows, Canon could come out and surprise all of us, and that would be great if they did. I'd be I'm like, hoping they do. I really yeah. am. I'm hoping that Canon and Nikon just, like, you know what, you guys talk all that crap, but look at what we, you know, our guys in, in white lab coats are making some nuclear-powered, light-bending black hole 
you know, light sucking cameras. So And I don't know the market that well, but isn't Canon like the biggest out there by like a long shot? They have like a yeah. billion dollars in R and D that they spend every year. And I don't know where that's gone, just printers. I don't know if it's going to their cameras. But <laughs> I, I gotta think if they got all that money in R and D, they should be like light years ahead of everybody. Or mm-hmm. pushing the envelope, like, come on. Get That's it. what I'm thinking. See, maybe we just got it all wrong. Maybe, you know, they they know better than us, stupid consumers. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't know what we want. There, you know. uh, hey, there's Brian Caparici back. You oh, reanimated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a power outage here all of a sudden, but my computers didn't go down because of my UPS backup, thank goodness. But nice, and your internet still up, everything? No, the internet went down, but my computer stayed up, so we're good. Wow. Wait. So how are you talking to me without internet? No, no, no. It, it came back up, but it flickered. It, oh, everything came back so, up. Yeah, okay. yeah, it flickered. <laughs> I was gonna say, man, what kind of crazy internet do you guys have up there in Canada? Oh man, <laughs> uh, up in Canada, you watch out. <laughs> I know, man. You guys, you know, got black helicopters. All right. So we're in the, we have moved into the picks of the week segment, Brian. So what's your uh, what's your pick of the week? Cool. Okay. This is. This is slightly different, and I don't know if this is allowed. Actually, you know what? First of all, hang on. Before I get there, mm-hmm. um, you remember the pick of the week that I had last time I was on the show? Uh, no. What was it? You 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 poked fun at it quite a bit. Uh oh. <laughs> Think Uh-oh. about it. That could be anything, man. <laughs> am I am I sitting right now or am I standing right oh, now? Oh, the standing oh, desk. Yeah, the standing so, desk. So I I stand corrected for my last one because at that time I had ordered the standing desk. Uh, from I forget what company it was that I had said, but turns out the shipping to Canada was $900 to get it up here, just for the shipping. <laughs> so I actually... <laughs> so you I drove actually, down and got it yourself. <laughs> uh, and So I canceled that order, and I ordered the desk from a new company called Updesk, which was significantly cheaper. So my, my pick of the week last time needs to be changed to Updesk, but I, okay. I'll, uh, I'll digress from that. My pick of the week this week is actually a book, Ooh. and it's a non-photography book. Um, it is a business book slash a self-help personal, you know, branding book. It's called mm-hmm. How the World Sees You by an author named Sally Hogshead. Um, the book's now been number one New York Times bestselling, uh, Wall Street Journal, Oprah.com is writing an article about it. I had the privilege of actually interviewing Sally on my podcast. Um, the the crux of the book is basically it shows you this process that you go through, and there's there's a test associated with it called the Fascination Advantage Assessment. Um, and basically it shows you how the world sees you at your best and it's this it's this amazing it's 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 not all that different from a lot of the personality you know tests that are out there the difference in this one is that a lot of the times the personality assessments um, show you how you see things and and what you see in different ways and all that this shows you how other people see you and how you deliver value um, at your best in the way that other people see you because ultimately the argument is that you can think you're the funniest person in the world but if nobody else thinks you're funny you're not really that funny (laughs) so that's why it's important to consider how other people see you and so from a a personal branding perspective to a business perspective to even a photography perspective the book has been very enlightening for me hold that hold that book up again that's that looks that looks pretty. Uh, it's pretty it's substantial. incredible. Oh yeah, it's it's a great book, um, and and like I said, there is there's a if you get the book, there's a, a fascination advantage assessment, which is Sally's test that you get for free with it. Um, I I was actually given 500 um, free assessments to give to any of my listeners, and so if those that are listening want to try it out, they're welcome to. I don't know if there's any left or not by the time this goes out, um, yeah. but I believe it's at. 
um, howtofascinate.com slash you, as in Y-O-U. Mm -hmm. And if you use the code BCAPRICCI, B-C-A-P-O-R-I-C-C-I, then you can get the test for free. It takes three minutes. Um, but it's amazing. It, it, like, it gives some real clarity to a lot of the things that we already know about ourselves, but it just puts language and words and verbiage to it, and it really clearly describes how people see you at your best, and then you can take that and really make that almost like a mission in what you do and how you communicate with people and how you photograph and how you run your business and everything that you do. It's it's an amazing sort of self-discovery mechanism that I've found, and I've just been obsessed with it for the past few weeks, so I really love I like it. it. I like that a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get that on Amazon tonight. Thank you. Yeah, good, great. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, see, I always end up spending money after this particular segment. <laughs> So yeah, definitely put that in the notes, Brian, and we'll uh, we'll link to that for the listeners for sure. and uh, put that code in there too, if you wouldn't mind yep. with the URL. No problem. All right, and uh, quickly, my pick is so I did a, a gig today. My friends down at uh, Drobo asked me to come down and shoot their um, their executive portraits for the for the executive team over there. So I went down and hung out with them for a while, did some portraits, and you know saw the old gang over there and. As part of an exercise for me, I you know I shot it with the GH3 because um, I don't have a GH4 yet, but I shot it with the GH3 and they wanted on green screen, so I shot the thing on green screen. I lit the green screen with the um, ice lights from FJ Westcott, so two ice lights in the background to light that thing up, and then two soft boxes in the foreground with a reflector below the subject. So basic glamour lighting stuff. And uh, but the cool pick of the week piece of this is I was the art director there, um, a woman by the name of Nadine was standing by while she was off to the side while I was shooting and making sure everyone's tie was straight and all that stuff. And but I gave her my iPad to hold and I was shooting tethered wirelessly to the iPad so she could see the framing, everything, even you know before and after the shot during the entire shoot for like three hours. So. And I, that was it was just sort of an eye-opening experience because she's back there and she's just looking. She can see my settings. She can see everything off camera. She could have even fired the camera if she wanted to <laughs> from off camera. And, uh, you know, and I think it was the entire shoot was much more relaxed because of it. So there were two factors. There were no strobes fly firing off in the subject's faces. This was all continuous light. And then B, the iPad, introducing the iPad into the flow for her gave her this extreme level of comfort that all the shots that were being taken were tack sharp framed exactly how she wanted the CEO looked great so you know it was a it was a good shoot so I would definitely whatever the camera that you have um, if it can do that you know I know most of the Sony's do that I know all the Panasonic Lumixes do that Olympus I'm not sure if they have an app that lets you shoot tethered but check it out if you can do that it, it opens your eyes and even on the you know shooting professionally like that is one thing but then I even do that with this little guy. So my little, this is a, the Panasonic Lumix GM1 that I, it's a little micro four-thirds camera that I carry around with me just for, you know, when I just need to have a camera with me. But I find myself doing the same thing with that. I can shoot tethered with that to my iPhone. <laughs> so, and, and I do it just to practice, just so I can get into that mode of like, oh, you hit this button, you lock, connect to the network, run the app, boom, I'm tethered, okay, I'm out of there, I got the images on my phone, I'm done. Once you get that in your head and you start getting that flow, it's, it's insane. Dave, have you played with that wireless stuff at all? Yeah, I was just going to say that the, the app for the, the GH4 that I have is really, really good. And yeah. then the app for the Sony is really, really bad. 
<laughs> I was yeah. talking to the some the contact I have with Sony, and they're like, "Yeah, we know, we're we're working on it." But yeah, yeah. the app for the GH4 is the I guess it works with all Panasonic's cameras, I guess, but yeah. uh, it works fantastic. And the one for Canon, yeah, beat up on Canon, is not very good either. Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Canon, if you love Canon cameras. LearningDSLRVideo.com. Just comment to Dave Dugdale. <laughs> yeah, for all those f people that said I was a fanboy for Canon for having Canon for many years. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, and I can attest to that. I can back the, the fact up that you are not a fanboy. You are, and that's why the stuff on your your site is so valuable because you don't you don't cater or pander to any one manufacturer, and you buy all the stuff yourself, right? You're not yeah, you're not getting freebie. You have to pull out my wallet and yeah, oh yeah, I don't get any special deals or anything. Yeah, yeah. See that that makes it all makes it all worthwhile. So, cool guys. All right, we are at the end of another episode of this week in photo, episode three seven one. I want to give another thanks to the sponsor for this episode, and that's our good friends over at Lynda.com. Without them, this episode would never have happened. All right, and uh, Dave Dugdale, where should people go to uh, to check you out and see some of the work? We know learningdslrvideo.com, obviously, but are there any other places that folks can go to see your work? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Google+, I'm on Instagram, um, just about yeah, everywhere that I can think of. Yeah, I don't do, like, Snapchat or anything like that, but um, most of the major Wait, networks. Come on, that's video. <laughs> You're doing I know some people are. I don't do that. My, yeah. my nieces do that, but no, not me. Yeah. But actually, actually, just to um, reinforce what you said yeah. about um, Linda, I'm a Linda, um, and I also do Kelby, but I also do Linda's at the same time. Yeah, me too. I, I learn a ton. I, every you know evening, I'm like, oh, what's new? And I'm like, you know, there might be some photographer doing something new, and I'm like, oh, this is good, this is good. Or there might be a whole 11-hour course on Premiere Pro, how to use yeah. it. And I'm like, there's a few things I don't know how to do. It's so like, this is great. So it, it's fantastic. I, they're great. They, they, I'm glad they're your sponsor. They're a good company. Yeah, they're great. And I'll tell you, I use both of those guys as well, Linda and Kelby. And I'll, this is the way I split them up for my own personal learning, e-learning, is on the Kelby side, I look to them for inspiration and photography technique and tips and Photoshop, you know, because they are, I mean, there's nobody on the planet better than those guys at this stuff. So, you know, and shooting Joe McNally over there, wielding his, you know, 52 strobes on one shoot, all that stuff. I go over there for that kind of, you know, feeding that photographer side of me. On the lynda.com side, for example, now we're doing some interesting things with TWIP. I'm finding myself needing to know Premiere and Adobe Audition and, you know, these kind of down, you know, plumbing under the sink tools, you know. <laughs> so uh, Lynda is, and they've got everything over there that you could possibly want to know about and courses on it that I can deep dive into to, you know, to get up to speed. And then I can do it from my living room couch or in the bed with my headphones on and, and I'm yeah. off into the races. So, yeah. So I, it's again back to where things were five years ago, ten years ago. We didn't have any of this stuff. We had to get these big, thick. Remember the Bibles? You know, a Bible on Photoshop, or <laughs> yeah, and then go through it meticulously and try not to go blind before you get to the end of it. Now we can have. You know, well, someone I mean, like one of you guys teaches. And we're all visual learners, so we just want to see, just do it for me. I want to see you do it. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then get back to your project. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Brian, you, uh, Brian, before you get into your, where, where people can go find you, where, like, do you do e-learning and that sort of thing? I know you're doing some stuff on Sprouting Photographer on the marketing side, but yeah. what about the on the side of, like, 
you know, hey, I need to learn how to use 52 flashes. Do you go to Kelby or Linda? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny. So, I mean, I love business education, and so I read a ton of books. I'm yeah. always listening to podcasts, audio books, <laughs> you know, a lot of things online for business stuff. Um, for me, I, I guess I'm I'm actually a bit of a of an old school mind <laughs> a little bit. I'm a bit mm -hmm. of a purist. For photography education, I actually love in-person learning. Like I love yeah. being physically somewhere to learn. I actually went to um, to a Joe McNally workshop. He was up here in Toronto a couple years ago, and I went and saw him for a full day, and he was teaching there. And it was just incredible to be in the same room as him and feel the energy and see what he's doing and fire off questions live. I mean, yeah. I love live learning. Uh, I mean, I love you know the Linda, the Creative Live, the the Kelby training. I think th those are amazing educational opportunities. Uh, we do it with Sprouting Photographer. I have a podcast. You have a podcast. I mean, I love the online thing as well. But I, but I also think that there's so much to be said for physical in-person learning as well. Um, I did a workshop with David Beckstead um, last year, which kicked me into the the mirrorless space actually, and I, I credit him 100% to introducing me to Fuji. Um, so I, I love the physical workshop space. Whenever I can, I, I you know hop on a plane or hop on a bus or hop in my car and, and go somewhere physical to see someone that really inspires me. And I think that's important, but a, a cool thing, another another uh, byproduct of the internet is services like Creative Live, where yeah. If you don't, like on the Kelby side, it's one way of learning. On the Linda side, there's a slightly different way of learning. Creative Live is somewhere in between live workshop and on-demand delivery. So if you mm -hmm. like that workshop thing, but you're stuck in you know, some corner of the world where you can't physically get there, you could still participate and ask questions and all that stuff with Creative Live. So yeah, crazy. It's crazy talk. <laughs> So, cool. Well, Brian, where where should people go? So, first of all, tell us where your website is, and then tell us a little bit more about that podcast and where they can subscribe to it. Yeah, cool. Thank you. So, SproutingPhotographer.com is our sort of home base for everything about the business of being creative. Um, we've got our Facebook page as well at facebook.com slash SproutingPhotographer. Um, we're actually almost at 9,000 fans over there too, so that's grown really quickly over the last six months, which has been pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I like to teach the podcast itself. You can just find it in iTunes by searching either the business of photography or spreading photographer, or if you want a quick link, it's spreadingphotographer.com slash iTunes, and you can find it directly there. Um, the article that I've, I've mentioned a few times, one that I wrote on uh, mirrorless photography, it's just at spreadingphotographer.com slash mirrorless-photography. Um, and I actually, I wrote an article too, Frederick, maybe we can put a link to it in the show notes um, for digitalphotographyschool.com, oh, all cool. about why um, uh, mirrorless photography inspires me as a photographer. Because for me, my story is that for so long I was into DSLR. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, a working professional now for nine years, shooting weddings with my Nikon, doing you know, my thing. And I, got, I didn't get into a rut, but I got very comfortable with my skills as a creative and as a photographer. Mm -hmm. And I spent so much time focusing on business that, that, that my photography was kind of on, on autopilot for a little while. And mirrorless for me kicked up that creative inspiration because it was a new way of seeing, a new way of shooting, a new technology. It was just different and it really inspired me and there's sort of 10 main reasons as to why it inspired me and so I wrote all about that over on uh, Digital Photography School and, oh, and yeah. it got like something like 5,000 or 7,000 shares on social media and there, there was a they did a poll beside it which was interesting asking you know the readers what they thought about mirrorless photography whether they used it or not and I think it had something like 150,000 results, which means that, I mean, not everybody even does the poll. So it had a ton of, of uh, viewership, and it sparked a lot of uh, 
debate and discussion in the comments too. It was really interesting. So if anyone That's wants really to, cool. to, or to read that, I'll, I'll give you the link to that as well. Yeah, please do. Yeah, definitely. I'll check that out. Cool. Awesome. Well, cool, guys. Well, thanks a, guy. thanks a lot to both of you for coming on, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to each of you. Dave, again, get back to that review and get it done, would you? So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need it done. I want to check it out. All right, guys. If you want to keep up with me, uh, you can check me out at my website. That's just frederickvan.com or on Twitter or Google Plus under Frederick Van. And also be sure to check out our website at thisweekinphoto.com. That's thisweekinphoto.com. And our All About the Gear site is over at thisweekinphoto.com slash gear. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.